Good morning, everyone. As we turn our attention to God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with joy-filled reverence and sober humility. The summons to the word found in your bulletin prepares our hearts and minds to do that. Let us read it together. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Esteem wisdom, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. In the Blue Pew Bible, it can be found on page 1015. Again, the text is Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14, found on page 1015 of the Pew Bible. Now hear the word of the Lord. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Well, thank you, Lucy. Let's, uh, let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, apart from your spirit, as we have just sang, apart from your spirit, uh, there is no hope uh, for us. Father, we recognize that uh, we are able to make superficial changes to our lives, but you and you alone, Father, by your spirit, can perform a heart surgery, uh, taking away our hard-heartedness, those hearts that are stubborn and stiff-necked, hearts that are unbending, that are cold, uncompassionate, uh, hating. Oh, Father, please, we ask that you would send your spirit to do just that. Do what only you can do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing our, our trek through the book of Colossians. And just before we, we dive into the verses that Lucy read for us, I want to take just a few minutes. In fact, Jim mentioned it in his prayer, but I want to just go back to uh, verse 7. Briefly, if you've got that, if you, if, you're, uh, if you have that in front of you, again, Lucy began in verse 9, as, as uh, we asked her to do, but I want to just start in verse 7 really quickly to mention something. In verse 7, we read this, uh, Paul writes, you, that is you, the Colossians, learned it. What is the it? It refers back to verses 5 and 6. It refers to the gospel. You learned it, that is the gospel, from Epaphras, or Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. Now, so how did the Colossians hear about the gospel? Did they, did they hear it from Paul? No, they didn't. Where was Paul? He was in prison, right? So what, how did they hear about the gospel? What it says there in verse 7, you learned it from Epaphras. 
our dear fellow servant. And the question is, was he reliable? Did they get the right message? Right? Did, they, did they get the truth? Did they get the real gospel? And Paul assures them that, in fact, it's the case. He says, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, here's the key phrase, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. Okay, so the idea here is that Paul is saying, look, I'm in prison. You never even met me before. You don't even know really who I am. And, but I'm writing to tell you that I've heard about your faith. I've heard about your love. A faith and a love that come from the hope that's, that springs from the news of the gospel, this, this message of resurrection hope, this message that God can undo anything, that he can reverse all that, that has happened, that he can undo our sin, he can undo death itself. And it's in that hope that you begin to, to invest in others, to love others, to be faithful to one another, to be faithful to the Lord. And he, says, I have heard, he says, we've heard all of these things, and he's saying that Epaphras, the one whom, whom he knows, is someone that he himself knows and has blessed, if you will. He, is, uh, he has vetted him. This is just, I mention this because it's so important to know that Epaphras, if you will, again, he's been vetted. He's been approved. He's, he's accountable to someone else. That, and that someone else, of course, is Paul. And this speaks to something actually that's very important in ministry. That's the idea of accreditation, or you might say ordination, the idea of accountability. It's the idea that, that to be a, just a church by ourselves, a minister with a community, isn't enough. That just as someone can't just decide to be a doctor one day, they can't just decide to be a lawyer one day, you can't just decide to be a pastor one day. And although we may not talk about it a lot, this church is part of what's called the Presbyterian Church in America. We're a Presbyterian denomination, which is to say Presbyterian means we're a rule by elders. It's not just what I say goes. No, there are, it's me and a, and a group of men who serve faithfully to lead the church. But it's not just the us men by ourselves. That we are actually accountable, and I specifically am accountable and accredited, if you will, to what's called a presbytery, to a group of other pastors. In fact, it's all the Presbyterian, all the PCA churches in Missouri were what's part of the Missouri Presbytery. In fact, just this past Tuesday, there was a, one of the quarterly Presbyterian meetings. We met at Twin Oaks uh, PCA, which is, which is um, southwest of St. Louis. And, uh, and we, 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 we do that regularly. And my, my point here is that as a church, we are part of a larger movement of a presbytery, and that presbytery is part of a larger denomination. And every year, that denomination, all the leadership meet in one place uh, within America. And, and this year, it's actually here in St. Louis, as Jim mentioned. And if you would, I would just ask that you would keep that, keep that uh, uh, meeting, what's called the General Assembly, in your prayers. It's going to be in late June and early July. As you can imagine, there's been a lot of ifs and what ifs about whether or not they're actually meeting. And it's only been very recently that they've received the thumbs up from, uh, from city officials and public health officials to go ahead and meet here in St. Louis. And because of that, they, they, everyone is scrambling to get ready. Because what usually would be done in January or February is just, is just now getting finished. So I, I mention all of this for two reasons. One, that you would keep them in your prayers. But two, if you are free, in fact, I think if I remember right, it's June 28th through July 2nd. It's something right, right that week. It's usually a Tuesday to a Friday. 
So that very last week of June, if you are free and you would like to serve or if you would just like to participate, in fact, on most of the evenings, I, I want to say beginning on Wednesday evening, Thursday evening, and Friday morning, there, if you want to see an amazing worship service and gather with literally thousands of brothers and sisters in the Lord from our denomination, you would be, it's free, you would be, it's, um, we can give you all the contact, from, contact information, and it would be a wonderful experience. And again, as you can imagine, they're looking for, um, I don't know the number, but it's in the hundreds of volunteers. So if you would like to be part of that, uh, please um, you simply let me know or let Nancy know, and we can, we can, uh, we can uh, connect you. So but with that, though, I want to take just a few minutes and pray for the General Assembly, and then we'll, again, we'll jump into our, our sermon proper. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, um, we rejoice that we are not an isolated body. We rejoice that, uh, Father, we're not just by ourselves here, but in fact, we are connected. In fact, we're connected, Father, uh, with churches, not only throughout the city and state, but throughout this nation, and Father, ultimately throughout this world. We thank you that we gather this morning along with brothers and sisters, young and old, of all colors, of every tongue, tribe, people, and nation, to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, to hail him as our brother, to hail him as our king, to rejoice in who he is and what he has done and what he will do and what he is doing even now. So, Father, please, would you bless this upcoming General Assembly? Father, it literally, Father, it seems sometimes the devil is in the details. And we ask that you would raise up volunteers, not only here from Good Shepherd, but throughout the city, throughout the various churches in the city, that we would offer a welcome to all who come to St. Louis, a welcome that they will never forget. Father, that what they would remember from General Assembly is not a certain discussion or a certain debate or even a certain service, but they would remember the welcome, the hospitality, the warmth, the kindness, the compassion of, of the churches uh, here in St. Louis. Father, I pray that we would be able to welcome them just as you have welcomed us. Father, hear these prayers, for we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, with that, let's jump into our text this morning. <clears throat> As uh, Lucy read for us, again, it's on it's Colossians 1. And it's on page uh, 10, 15, 1015. And we, we see there in verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Now, Paul begins, this is so important, Paul begins... With this, for this reason, he's saying, because of your fruitfulness, because of your fruitfulness and your faithfulness, he says, we are praying for you. Now, I just want to do a full stop. Paul has seen in their lives a fruitfulness and an evidence of the Spirit that makes him want all the more to cheer them on. And what is so important here, it's so easy just to, just, to, just, to, just to walk right by this and not see the importance. That here is Paul, this great apostle, with all of this knowledge, all of this wisdom, all of this understanding, all of these amazing experiences. Paul, the miracle worker. Paul, the, 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 the great proclaimer of the gospel. Paul, the, the bold one. The Paul, the Paul who, who was in prison, who has spoken to kings, has this incredible resume, this incredible testimony. And what's the most important thing that he does for them? What's the first thing 
he does for them. But what is the ongoing thing that he does for them? Look again in verse 9. What does he say? For this reason, since the day we heard about you, listen to this, we have not stopped praying for you. Isn't that amazing? We have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God. That's amazing. Paul is in ongoing, unceasing prayer for the Colossians. Paul's, you know, sometimes people say, you've ever heard people say, you know, well, all we can do now is pray. It's sort of this latched ditch final thing when everything else has failed, you just decide to pray. Paul is the opposite. The very first thing he does is pray. In fact, in almost every single one of Paul's letters, it begins with what? This very same idea of a prayer report. Does that make sense? That Paul is saying, hey, greetings, you know, uh, grace and peace to all of you. And he, and he welcomes them and blesses them. And then he says, I want you to know I'm praying for you. And this is what I'm praying for you. And some of you, you if you've seen here you've, um, on your... Uh, on your, cha- on your chairs, you've seen this little uh, field guide for daily prayer. Now, this is a remarkable way to just ha- take this with you and to actually begin to pray throughout the day. It's got a morning and evening guide. It's, it's a wonderful, very simple to use. You can go up, you can read the introduction, read through how to use it. It's got uh, morning and evening prayers and various prayers and a 30-day Psalter if you want to read through the Psalms. But it's very simple and very beautiful. This is ancient. It's taken from the Anglican, uh, Anglican Book of Common Prayer. And it is a wonderful way to stay connected to the Lord and to live a life of what Paul calls unceasing Prayer, continual prayer. It doesn't take that long, in morning and evening. It's very simple to do. You could do it any time in the midst of your routine of life. It's a very easy thing. I want to encourage you just to try it out. Try it for two weeks. Just see. Just see what it's like. You miss, you miss a morning, you miss an evening, that's okay. But you give it a try. I wanted to just put this in your hands as a very practical way to begin to live a life of prayer. But here, specifically, Paul is not praying for himself. He's praying for others. So again, let's not miss where we are. Paul Paul says, because of your fruitfulness, that is because of the love, because of the faith that I've seen, I fall to my knees in prayer. I think that's such a beautiful thing that he speaks of how he is praying unceasingly for them. And the question then becomes, well, what is Paul praying for them? Paul is praying that they would be focused on his will. Look at the second half of verse 9. We have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God, here it is, to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Paul is saying, we long for you to know what God wants for you. We long for you to understand what what he is about, what his priorities are for you. He's seeing that God has a purpose for you, that your life is not an accident, that the challenges you're facing are not just chaotic and meaningless, but he has purpose, he has a plan for you, and that will is his revealed will of his law, his good, holy, and pleasing will. 
Now, what's so important to, to see here is what he attaches to that. He says, he says, we continually ask that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the, listen, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. He's saying that this will is of such a nature that in order to understand it, you have to have the Holy Spirit. You have to have a wisdom and an understanding that come from the Spirit. Now listen, gang, this, this may sound so obvious, but I, I just, I've got to just state it because it's so important. Paul is saying that left to ourselves, apart from the Holy Spirit, we don't know how to live life. See, we get married. I think, oh, I know how to do this. How hard could it be? I know what to do as a husband. I know what to do as as a wife. I know know how to do this. I can can navigate. I got this. We just think we know. And then we have children. I mean, oh, I know how to do this. And then somewhere along the way, as spouses, we go, what in the world has happened? How did we get here? How did this happen to us? Wake up in the morning, we think, what, in, what kind of husband have I become? What kind of wife have I become? We wake up and we realize, what were we thinking as parents? I just thought it made so much sense. I thought I knew what I was doing. You know, one of the most difficult things as a pastor, one of the most difficult things as a pastor is to see the people God has placed under my care in what I would call slow-motion car accidents. I can see this car wreck coming from years away. I can see the kid is going to be a real problem as a teen. I can see the, the, the marriage that it's just, I just, I just don't think it's going to make it. And yet I just don't have the rapport. I don't have, I don't have the voice. It's like, hey, we got this. We know how to be parents. How dare you tell us how to be parents? How dare you tell me to run my marriage? And I'm not here to, I'm not here to run your life. I'm here, like Paul, praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. That you would know what it looks like. Because listen to this. It's only through the Spirit that that will is discerned. And why is that? Because the way that we think about marriage, the way we think about parenting, the way that we think about money, the way we think about our bodies, the way we think about our schedule, all of that is derived from our sinful culture and from our sinful heart. And so to know his will is to learn something that is incredibly counterintuitive. And it's incredibly countercultural. You want me to confess my sin to my spouse? That's the dumbest thing in the world. I would never own that to them. Why would I do that? I would never tell my Johnny no. I love my kid. Why would I ever do that? Again, God's will. Paul is saying, I am praying. Paul just can't just, here's God's will for you, and just writes it out, and it's just, oh, here, I got it. It's not this informational sort of thing. It is this spirit-enabled, 
eye-opening, ear-opening, heart-changing process that enables us to discern through the Spirit what God's will is. That's such a, that may sound very, very simple, but I just want to challenge you. Is the way that you're thinking about your vocation, is it in line with God's will? But I have one of you, I just not too long ago, one of you came to me, it's so beautiful, and said, you know, here's my, this is my occupation, and I really want to bring it under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I have absolutely no idea how to do that. And they were rather sheepish, they felt bad about it. Like, I just, I've been doing this for this long, and I, I really don't know. Well, how would Jesus have me do this? And, that's a, and why would he know? Why would, why would they know, Right? It's only by the Spirit understanding, only by the Spirit through the Word saying, hey, this is what it looks like to, to be a Christian doctor, a Christian nurse, a Christian lawyer, a Christian whatever plumber, whatever it may be. What does it look like? And think, about, think about how when John the Baptist called God's people to repentance, there were certain groups, remember this? Soldiers actually came up to them and said, what? What should we do? Tax collectors came up to him and said, what should we do? They came up in their various vocations wanting to know, what does it look like now for me to bring my occupation, my vocation under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Or think of it this way. How many of you as parents have said, you know what? I want to parent my children in a distinctly Christian way. What does that look like? What does that look like? Or I want to take my money. I want, to, I, want to, I want to think about my money in a distinct... What is God's will for my money, my finances? How we, how we carry out the money that God has, has, has entrusted to us? What does that look like to do? How can I do it in a way that is different from the way that the world does? And so again, I want, to, so I want you to see this. What's so profound, so simple, you can just walk over it, rock right by, is that Paul is saying, look, I'm stopping. The first thing I'm doing... In fact, the second thing, the third thing, the thing I'm doing all the time is praying for you. And what am I praying for you? Paul says, because of your fruitfulness, I am falling to the ground, asking that God would fill you with a knowledge of his will. What a beautiful phrase. And the question is, well, what, so what's, what, why is that? What, what is it that if, if, they, if they focus on God's will, what will, what will result in that? Well, the answer is found in verse 10 that they would be able to please the Lord. This is so beautiful. Look at this. Paul says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Why? Verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Now, isn't that amazing? Now, listen, spouses, you know that you can't always please your spouse, right? You can't always please your kids. Children, kids, you know that you can't always please your parents. Those of you who work, you can't always please your supervisors, can you? Boy, some of you, I, 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 you share with me your work situations and the struggles you're going through and how difficult your supervisors are, your coworkers, and my heart just goes out to you. It's like it's a no-win situation for you. You just can't please them. But here, what, what, what Paul is saying is that you have a, a, a master in heaven whom you really can please. Isn't that amazing? And this isn't a pleasing to perform 
It's not a pleasing to, to somehow, you know, get into heaven. That's not what this is about. It's about the idea that I can serve the Lord in such a way that really me, in all my weakness and my struggling, I can actually know that he is pleased with me. And the question is, well, how? How are the Colossians to please the Lord? And we see that in the rest of verses 10 and 11 and 12. Look at, listen, there are four things, four ways that Paul um, lists here of, of ways to please the Lord. The first is that we would be fruitful. Again, look further in verse 10. It says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And there's a colon, one, bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit. Let me just ask this question. Where is Jesus calling you to bear fruit? Where is he calling you to labor? Where is he calling you to serve? Maybe it's here in the church. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. How is he calling you to serve? Paul's saying Jesus' will for you is that you would bear fruit. What does that look like? Where would that be? Have you been intentional about, hey, this is how I want to serve the Lord in this coming year? This is how I want to serve the Lord in my marriage. This is how I want to serve the Lord in my home. This is how I want to serve the Lord in my church. So the first thing, the first way that we can please the Lord is by being fruitful. The second thing we can, we, we, way we please the Lord is by being familiar with God. That's the last part of verse 10. He says, first of his bearing fruit in every good work. Second, growing in the knowledge of God. This, this, he says, we, you please the Lord by becoming more familiar with who God is. Let me ask this question. How does he want you to know him better? How have we underestimated him? Is there an aspect of God's character, the person of Jesus, or the Holy Spirit? And you're like, you know, I don't, really, I don't really know the Lord. I don't really know who the Spirit is. What does the Spirit do? Who, what does it mean that God is my Father? We're to, be, we're to please him by pursuing a relationship with him. What would it be like if you were to sit down and say, you know, over the next month, I want to study the justice of God. Or I want to study the faithfulness of God. Or I want to study the mercy of God. So to please the Lord is first to be fruitful, second to be familiar with God, and third to be forbearing or firm, to be persevering. Look at verse 11. It says here, verse 11, this is the third, uh, the, the, the third piece here, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Now that is amazing. Think of this. What Paul is saying here, that to please the Lord is to think of situations in your life where you're just ready to give up. I'm so done. I'm so spent. I'm so ready to check out. I've got no strength left. And this is how you please the Lord. Are you ready? You say, you know what? I am going to continue believing that he is going to provide the strength. I don't know how, I don't, have this, I don't know where the strength is going to come from. In fact, I don't even know exactly the path forward. But I'm going to take the next step. I'm going to keep going because I believe that God is going to provide the strength. And that pleases, the, that pleases Jesus. When we, we say, you know what, I just, I'm, I'm done relying, I'm at the end of my rope, I'm, I'm, I'm running on empty, I have nothing left to offer, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going in this marriage, I'm going to keep going in this certain work situation, I'm going to keep going in this difficult, this difficult relationship in my family, I'm going to keep going 
because I know it's going to please the Lord if I say, Father, or Lord Jesus, you're going to be there to provide the strength that I need. It's pleasing to him. So it's pleasing when we're fruitful. It's pleasing when we're familiar with God. Third, it's pleasing when we're forbearing or firm. We stand for, we're steadfast. So this envision, this third, this third uh, part envisions a willingness to persevere when we realize that we are an empty. Because we believe that if we endure, if we forbear, if we continue, that God will truly provide the strength we need. So I want to ask you this morning, where are we wanting to give up? Where are we saying, I don't have any more energy for this? And we can please the Lord by continuing on, believing that he will provide the strength we need. Fourth and finally, we're to please the Lord by being filled with gratitude. Being filled with gratitude to the Father. Look at verses 12. This is so great. Verse, the, the fourth part. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. He's saying, look, you should, we, we are to be filled with gratitude to the Father. Why? Because the Father has given us a sure future. There's a sure future there. There's an inevitable, there is an inheritance that we will partake of in the new heavens and a new earth. See, the Christian life, this is so, I, I, I fail at this so badly. It's just unbelievable. The Christian life looks back. The Christian life is about memory, recalling the cross, recalling what Jesus has done for us. But the Christian life is also about looking forward, that there's a hope. How often are you thinking about the age to come? How often are you thinking about a new heavens and a new earth? I don't know about you kids, but when I was a kid, I thought I would be a kid forever. I said, I'll never be an adult. But I remember being like, you know, four foot, whatever, eight or nine or something, thinking I will never be as tall as my parents, ever. It'll never happen. When I was in elementary, I thought I would be in elementary for ever. I thought I would be in junior high forever, trapped. I thought I would be in high school forever. I thought it would be in every stage of my life. I thought it would be forever. And then that time comes. You really do one day graduate from high school. You really do one day graduate from college or whatever it is. You really do enter into these various stages of life. And my point is that so often we can think that that day will never come. And it actually, it does. See, what we're experiencing right now, listen to this game. What you're experiencing right now, this isn't it. All the hardship, the toil, the ache, the illness, it's not it. Let me, let me illustrate this in two ways. First, I don't know if you've got that nat, if you've got the video I want to show just really briefly. This is taken from a HBO series called The Band of Brothers. And in either, there are eight or nine episodes. At the beginning of each episode are these brief interviews with the actual veterans uh, who fought in World War II from Easy Company. And this, this is just a brief, like one minute, uh, a one minute just um, interview. And what they're talking about is the Battle of Bastogne, okay, where what's called the Battle of the Bulge. And it's, it's, our, it was one, one of the most incredible. Go ahead and start at the very beginning there if you would. And if you can expand that, that would be great. Listen to, what, listen to some recalling, especially at the very end, the very last. Uh, when we left go ahead. for Bastogne, we were short of equipment. We didn't have enough ammunition. We didn't have enough warm clothes. 
but we had confidence that our higher military authorities would get to us whatever we needed. And there was a ridge with a tree line. We were dug in on that ridge. Chairmans knew right where we were, and they really gave us a shellacking. Well, I can buy stone. We're down around, one around for man there for a while. There's a fog was in. They couldn't drop us, couldn't resupply us. Every time they tried to drop supplies into us, they missed us and dropped them to the Germans. One of the guys got hit in the arm with a piece of shrapnel, took his arm off above the elbow. And they were going taking him out. He said, get my wristwatch off of my arm. And then a medic came along, and I think he really saved my life because he stuck a serrette in my in a key position, more uh, morphine. Even today, a real cold night, we go to bed, and I, uh, my wife will tell you that the first thing I'll say is, I'm glad I'm not in Bastogne. They're awesome. I'm glad I'm not in Bastogne. So there will come a day when you look back, and you'll be like, I'm glad I'm not there anymore. Did you believe that? I'm glad I don't have to struggle with my sin anymore. Glad I don't have to struggle with illness anymore. I'm glad I don't have to struggle with the corruption, with the chaos at work. I'm glad I don't have to struggle with that anymore. I'm so glad I'm not in Bastogne anymore. But think of those men as they were going through it. Imagine that would be like the artillery fire, one one round per per soldier, losing friends. We're on your right and your left. What would it be like they're thinking we're never gonna get out of here? This is it. This is all there is. And Paul is saying, well, give thanks. Give thanks, because there is someone who has qualified you for an inheritance in a new heavens and a new earth. It's not done. Just by way of a second illustration, those of you uh, familiar with C.S. Lewis, you know that he wrote a series called The Chronicles of Narnia. It's a series of seven books, and parents, if you haven't read these to your children, it's a wonderful thing to do as they, as they grow up. Each book becomes more and more developed and more, more complicated, and they build on each other. The very last book is called The Last Battle. And in the very, the very final paragraphs, I'm going to read these final paragraphs to you because it's so beautiful. I'm not going to spoil anything. It's just, um, it's just tells, it's just beautiful ending that is actually a beginning. Listen to this. Lewis writes, The things that began to happen after that, after the, you know, at the very end, the, the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. See, for us, the reader, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all, we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Isn't that beautiful? When you're discouraged, you're down, say, you know what, this is just a cover page. When you're discouraged and down, give thanks to the Father. I'm glad I'm not in Bastogne. This is just the cover page. Guys, God is 
included us qualified, our Father has qualified us to be in that narrative where there's an unending story that will get better and better chapter after chapter. How are we to please the Lord? To be fruitful in every good work. To be familiar with God, more and more familiar with who he is. Third, firm and forbearing, not giving up. When we have nothing left, we continue believing that he will provide. Fourth, we are filled with gratitude, one, because of a sure future, and second, and then we'll close with this, second, because of a sure freedom and forgiveness from the Son. Look at verses 12 and 13. So 12 speaks of the Father's qualifying us. 13, for he, that is, for he, that is the Father, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, that's the freedom, and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Brothers and sisters, you have been redeemed. Your sin, your disease, your despair will not have the last word. It does not own you. There was only one who by his blood purchased you and owns you and will never, never let you go. And that one who has purchased you has fully forgiven you in every way. Some of you, you every, every day of your life, or most days of your life, you, you think back to that sin, that sin that you did, or that ongoing struggle that you have. It just, it just dominates your thoughts. And you bring it to the Father, you bring it to Him, or you, you think it, you bring it to mind. And here's what I want you to know, that when you bring that to the Father, and you say, Father, do you remember this? You know this, you see this. He looks at you through the eyes of Jesus Christ, fully forgiven, and says, child of God, my child, I have no idea what you're talking about. See, in the scriptures, in the Old and New Testament, it says this beautiful promise, I will remember their sins no more. You are forgiven. In fact, we're going to see later in Colossians 2 that nailed to the cross, our sins have been erased. They've been erased. Isn't that beautiful? How are we to please the Lord? By being fruitful in every way. By being familiar, more and more familiar with God. By being firm and forbearing in the difficulties of life. And finally, being filled with gratitude because of a sure future and a sure freedom and forgiveness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, who are we that you would, you would include us in a new heavens and a new earth? Father, who are we? Father, we think of those who win the lottery and the world looks on them with just such envy and yet we know, Father, studies and study after study has been done showing that those who win the lottery, their lives go on to be uh, miserable. Father, what we have won, not the lottery, but something of infinite more worth, an inheritance in a new heavens and a new earth because we are your children, forgiven, Beloved, pardoned, adopted. Oh, Father, how beautiful it is that we should be called the children of God. Lord Jesus, how beautiful it is that we can call to you our wonderful, merciful Savior, knowing that you and you alone have done all that is needed to rescue us. Father, hear these prayers. We love you. We pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.